The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 23, Star Trek Animated Fan Club Newsletter, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archive of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, Star Trek historians, Star Trek hysterical historian fans. I'm hysterical because we're recording this. You may not be able to detect it, but we're recording this from the bowels live at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. It's very exciting. So yes, all you canonistas, I say it lovingly, join in, especially you history buffs. Hey, if you're an anime fan and you're enjoying the current wave of Prodigy and Lower Decks, we're going to dive into uh, this week's document with a very special guest. So, hey, you know what to do, Trekophile, spell an F, uh, check out our documents as we do every week. They're on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Please go check out our document this week. Here's a little verbal check of that document this week, but check it all in. I'll be right back with this week's guest. First, there is a script, written in the same form as any film script. Star Trek is now a half-hour show, so the scripts are divided into three acts. There is no teaser. An average-length script for us is 36 pages, but can go as long as 42 pages if there is a great deal of description involved. Ah, the great words of the late, great Dorothy Fontana, who, if you should know, was the associate producer, basically the showrunner for the animated series, Star Trek the Animated Series back from 73-74, which has a colorful checkered history then and now, as we've talked about. uh, Check out our earlier episode where the movement to squash the animated series was was still born, but it was still amazing. No, the animated era was something that was great at the time. It kept Star Trek alive, entered the first movie, and then over the years, kick to the side maybe, was canon, it wasn't canon, you couldn't find it for years, and then you could again, and then Star Trek moved on with everything else. And of course now we're in that that renaissance of animation. This is an amazing interview with Dorothy from a little (laughs) typewritten newsletter for the animated series with the big budgets. And I want, this is such a fascinating interview with Dorothy, and I'm thinking what it means, how it compares to today. And Trekophiles, who better to talk about that with us than the great Aaron Walke, who is co-executive producer on Prodigy. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Hey. <laughs> wow, I got an applause. Always a pleasure, Larry. It's, it's a joy diving into Star Trek. Uh, and anytime I have an archival question, I will gladly DM the, the great Larry Nemechek, who will be befuddled, and then I'll not hear from him for three weeks as he and then, and then we look. No, so I, this is the kind of thing, and this is why on the Trek Files I always say it's not just about the dusty history. This is why I'd say about any history, including Star Trek. It's not just about names and dates and dusty papers. It's what does it mean for us today. So I'm really curious. This is a nice, thorough, very 1973, serious person, and not all Saturday morning animation, and unless you're Disney at the time, or I don't know. Don Bluth or something, uh, animation meant Saturday morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think as you read through her words here, her process and her thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm struck, you know, for people that have read the document, she kind of walks you through the process of how a filmation animated show was made. And I'm, I'm struck both by the similarities and also the things that are wildly different 
to today. Because, you know, back then, um, you know, even in the second paragraph of the document, she talks about how, like, the, the scripts, you know, sometimes they're th 36 pages long. <laughs> but, you know, if, if we need to, we can go 42 pages. And if I turned in a 42-page script today, I would be kicked to the curb <laughs> because, um, you know, there is so much involved in, in the process of animation, and there's now so many extra steps compared to how, what she describes in the right. document. Right. And each each phase of it, the artists uh, are not only uh, expected to, but are encouraged to sort of add their own elements to it in order to enhance the storytelling, you know. And if we, if uh, typically a, a Star Trek Prodigy script, you know, if you get turned in a 26-page script, that's pushing it because you oh. need space for... There to um, there to be breathing room, you know, and we have all these gorgeous like ship shots that I, you know, I love the animated series, but I don't think it would it, they kind of just reuse the same. I clip. They're, they're working on the old Bob <laughs> Justman library shot. Yeah, exactly. So they know exactly. Okay, we need three seconds here because the same shot is going to fly by of the paper mache <laughs> or paper. Cut and then out. they would spl They would have the alien, you know, the the blasted out bug alien ship, yeah. or they'd have Kuku Khan, or, or they would the, have, or they would swap out the uh, the matte painting right but uh, speaking of matte paintings you know there are other elements that that are just as prevalent today in in you know even in, in a, a show as com complexly uh, produced as Star Trek prodigy matte paintings and are gorgeous I would add oh yeah well that's that's very much the work of Benny Bond and the incredible art, uh, team of artists that he's assembled uh, on our show um, but what I love about their process and and is that they tend to think about uh, how to achieve those visuals in a very economic way. Um, you know, there's an interesting sort of, uh, I guess, crossroads that, that filmmaking and storytelling is at right now where uh, you watch these blockbuster movies, animated or not, and, you know, and even so-called live-action movies, 90% of them are animated cat people jumping around on a planet, or yeah, yeah. or Marvel superheroes flying and punching each other, and most of that is effectively animated shots. Um, and so the pipeline for, for an animated... Even a simple car wreck in an action movie is going to be, how much yeah. CGI is that going exactly. to be? Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, the directors have to push to do practical effects for that, because otherwise they'll just like, we'll just throw it to this, you know, the VFX company to fix and post. Um, but our show, don't, we don't really have that luxury. We have to be very um, targeted with how we uh, uh, set up our, our shots and our story. But they, in order to... Well, they're, they're compressed. I mean, it's amazing yeah. what you get into. What, 23 minutes? Is that what it is? 20? Yeah, not even that, be, because you have to account for the, the, the opening title crawl. <laughs> so, so we, I think in terms of actual story, uh, I think we have about 21 minutes and 30 seconds to tell a whole Star Trek story. Um, so for that reason, you know, I think... And I, I should add a caveat here with DC Fontana's, uh, you know, uh, saying, oh, so it could be 42 pages. They were a little descriptive in their de action wow. description, where sometimes you just have like a whole page that was just a paragraph of what was going on. Well, you guys have such a more, con well, you were talking about the teams involved. They, yeah. And Dorothy was always pushing the envelope with Filmation. It wasn't sure. Lassie's Rescue well, you Rangers, you know. It's, that's That's another thing that's still common today is like, 
you know, on it's this constant balance of like trying to push it to be the best it possibly can be, but also listening to your artists and saying like seeing what's possible and if something's not coming to a, a solution together of like how can we evoke the spirit of this moment that won't completely blow our budget up by a million dollars. Now, is anyone on the art team um, like as an homage uh, colorblind? <laughs> no. <laughs> like Filmation had in the Star Trek team, yeah. famously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, are, we do have a lot of people on our team that have experience outside of, uh, of animation. Um, you know, Benny Bond, for instance, he... You know, you know, I asked him what his background was. He was like, I just, I just paint paintings. <laughs> like he, he, he was trained as a, as a classical artist and then just kind of almost like back, backwards stumbled into, into mm-hmm. filmmaking. Um, likewise, uh, Jason Meyer, our FX supervisor, uh, came from live action. Interestingly enough, he used to work on Voyager. Um, you know, he, he has war stories talking about uh, the <laughs> trying to do the shot from, I believe it was Timeless, where Voyager crashes oh, into right. the snow. The yeah, ice, because yes. a lot of that, even though they added, the, you know, the snow effects, I think were had just been made available like that week. Like, hey, we got this new particle effect. But the rest of it had to be, they had to crash a physical model to get those shots. Anyway, that's, I digress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Star Trek. It's all good. I know. But, but, we, but we use matte paintings just like she did, oh, did okay. because... Um, you know, it's it would be easy in a huge Hollywood blockbuster to just say, "Oh, we want you to render out all these shots and all these uh, all of these uh, uh, unique environments." But you know, we don't have the cool video wall <laughs> that that <laughs> that the live action Star Trek shows have. But we do have an ar- army of incredible you know painters and matte painters from around the world. Well, it used to be the 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 one thing that was liberating about the animated series in 73 was they could say, look, we are not so constrained on budget. We can have plants, we can have aliens, we can do all that. And it was a revelation, yeah. right? And now and but now with the arrow wall with CG, a lot of that's it still costs money and they still have to watch a budget the live action shows. Yeah. So it's not like you have that totally to yourselves, but you again, you exploit it with the great backgrounds yeah, and the, yeah. and just letting your imagination really Go wild. And what's nice about, I guess, the format of animation is that at, at a certain point, your brain kind of relaxes into it, and you're just sort of accepting of the stylistic choices we make. And it does enable us to do a lot of things that that we wouldn't able that wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Like even you know, episode six, Kobayashi, which in our show was the introduction to new and young audiences to what a holodeck is. You know, I I think the first act is just me like, here's what a holodeck is, and here's 20 holodeck scenarios in 20 <laughs> seconds. Um, and ordinarily, they'd be like, are you insane? Like, we have to just build 20 sets? Like, what are you doing? But because we were very targeted, and I, I talked very closely with our team, I was like, these are like the 10 shots that we need. And a lot of them were like just, you know, the sky over the Genesis planet. <laughs> and, and we're like, yeah, we could do that, you know. Um, so it is very much sort of like, you know, bubblegum and popsicle sticks trying to hold up the, <laughs> the sheet so the actress can perform, but then you kind of, there's almost like a black box theater of the mind element uh, that you, you buy into it and you're like, we're just, we're along for the ride. So that's what's the fun part of working in animation. And, you know, if you just go three, three uh, frames to the left, there's nothing there, <laughs> but we're able to just render what's inside the frame. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, as a document in this 1973, this is, you know, typewritten. It comes back to uh, Filmation is not spending any money here on promotion, and it's a typewritten, 
you know, situation here. Uh, oh, typewriter, actually, and it's a newsletter. It's on paper. Yes. I cannot imagine writing some of my scripts on typewriters. I, I admire people, and I, and there's something very satisfying of the clickety clack. But I am I'm such a revisionist. Like I'm rewriting lines as I'm writing them, yeah. and my scripts would look like the Zodiac Killer's notes. <laughs> like, it would just be like, no, actually cross that out, arrow here, uh, line here, swap that out, that word. Yeah. Uh, so that's something and I, I am grateful for to be in the age of digital screenwriting. I'm just thinking that on the promotion side, a lot of us are not, you know, we're, we would like to see more promotion out there for Prodigy as well as all the Star Treks. But the fact that the only way they were trying to promote this to fans was... Oh, the newsletter, yeah. yeah. Dorothy or Susan or someone sitting in the office, uh, you know, tacking this out and sending it out typewritten. Yeah. Was there anything in here that's, you know, it's amazing. This is, uh, they used the animated series little newsletter to announce the passing of Gene Kuhn, just totally saw on the that, side. Yeah. But that's the way, you know, they were happy to, it wasn't like you popped up on your Twitter there on the alert. No, it's true. Uh, they're using the chance for this paper to get the word out. Was there anything in here that just really, really struck you as, as just cute or... Um, outlandish or yeah I mean I think the uh, I the, <laughs> the part where she says that that they're just like carbon like photocopying each individual cell <laughs> over and the, and I there was just something very uh, like I just imagine you know a, a, a fleet of people in this sweaty back room just <laughs> hands creating each one of these cells and I'm like that's so not how it's done anymore probably to the benefit of the artists that you know don't have to put literal sweat equity into right, the, into right. the the production of the animation and a few more eyeballs on things so we don't have you know pink tribbles yeah and the other thing that struck me is you know she um, you know in her description of the animation process you know she kind of says like she says like you know we have to get the the character voices immediately because we basically only get one pass <laughs> at, at matching the lip flap and stuff, which is, you know, I would say the timeline and uh, of digital is pretty well expanded from that and that you can change things pretty much right up to, you know, right before distribution. It just gets prohibitively more expensive the further along you go. But, you know, there have been a couple of occasions, even on Prodigy, where, you know, we're all... Thinking about episode 18, 14, 12, 11, 10 <laughs> at the same time, and then we, you know, we see the the second or third pass of animation, and then there's like one line in there that's like, oh, we changed that. <laughs> so yeah, for, for the impact on the ripple effect on yeah, the of, of later yeah, episodes, and, and so we have to cut a line and and do a retake, what's called a retake to to you know fix the animation. And she describes that process a little bit in here too, of like, oh yeah, you can mm -hmm. kind of they were like to have it. six months like cranking up the show maybe in March or April for yeah, the yeah. September debut kind of a thing. But in our, our timeline is expanded considerably to like two, you know, from first pass at an outline to a script to the end, it's about a year and a half, two years for one I was going to say, thought you were going to say a decade and a half, because that's what it feels like for all of us <laughs> yes. waiting on yeah. the things. Oh, this is so awesome. So I, I just, when we came across this one in the files, I thought, you know, I have to have somebody. Uh, and of course, Prodigy's 3D animation, Lower Decks is still 2D, like sure. film, uh, like they were doing in the 70s, but obviously. They, but the process is pretty close between 2D and 3D animation. The difference is just there's about four steps added a little bit later in the game. Like once it passes out of animatics then it kind of goes to a lot more people and there's a couple of stages of like you know that you have layout and where they're just kind of like t poses they're flying around that's <laughs> that i've had a number of ice cream sticks yeah exactly and then uh, and then vfx and you know principal animation secondary animation scoring it, it's it's a it's the same 
principles. Though. Well, one thing I enjoy as, as I have to let you go here, but one thing I enjoy is the fact that Dorothy and Gene, and it was an uphill battle to get the filmation. It was almost like Gene at the studio in 64. No, no one knew what Star Trek was, much less sci-fi. And I know there's so many fans on your staff. That's not quite the uphill battle that no. it was for them in 73. <laughs> thank goodness. Yes. And the product and the product shows. Aaron, thank you so much for dropping by. Hey, my pleasure. This is it's been it's been fun to do it here at Trek Vegas, and um, we'll have to have you back again sometime. Absolutely. This is the, if you can believe it. This is my first Star Trek Las Vegas convention, and I, now I want to come back every year. It's been a blast. Well, you better. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, everybody. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, and all of our documents and your chance to comment and please do are available at Facebook.com/slash/TheTrekFiles. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Doctor Trek and Portal Forty Seven. Uh, yeah, that's me at LarryNimacek.com. That's where you can also link in now for all of our new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.